Funding for this podcast comes from MathWorks, creators of MATLAB and Simulink software, accelerating the pace of engineering and science. Learn more at MathWorks.com. Support for this podcast comes from Is Business Broken, a podcast from BU Questrom School of Business. Stick around until the end of this podcast for a preview of a recent episode exploring the history of investors holding businesses accountable and the dawn of the ESG, or Environmental Social Governance Movement. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Produced by the iLab at WBUR Boston. In May of 2014, in Waukesha, Wisconsin, the morning after a slumber party, three 12-year-old girls walked into the woods. Morgan Geyser and Anissa Wire brought their friend Peyton Leitner with them to play. Sometime later, Morgan and Anissa wandered out of the trees five miles away, holding a knife, clothes stained with blood, Peyton's blood. Eventually, the two girls would tell the police they were doing the bidding of a monster. A monster they learned about on the internet. The brutality of the crime is hard to square with the ages of the accused. The latest on those two 12-year-old girls accused of nearly stabbing a friend to death, driven by the fictional Slenderman character. The teen suspects will stand trial. The girls said they stabbed their friend as a sacrifice to Slender Man, an ominous figure that went viral in 2009 and whose lore was lurking in the shadows, stalking children, and causing unspecified harm. So Slender Man is very, very, very tall. Picture the tallest person you can picture. Then add like eight feet to it. And then... Picture a blank white face, no features, just nothing, and a suit. A very, like, well-fitted, tailored suit. Big spindly fingers are sometimes seen with him. Uh, Shadows. This is Amanda Brennan. She knows a lot about Slender Man, from his eerily lanky appearance to the effect he supposedly has on people when he's near. If Slenderman is around and you are filming a recording, the recordings will glitch um, and it'll get all weird and spooky. You also, if you have been around Slenderman too much, you get slender sickness and you start coughing. If you pay any attention to crazy court cases or spooky internet culture, you might remember this story. And if you do... You remember that the press and people in general freaked out about it because it was this mysterious thing that seemed to get really popular on the internet and played out in real life with bloodshed. Amanda remembers the case because she studies this stuff pretty closely. Not bloodshed, internet memes. She is an internet culture librarian. I love talking about Slender Man just because it is so unique in the meme space. 
to how it not only transcended internet culture, but like became a folklore thing. And then like, there's so many layers to it. In this bonus episode of Endless Threads meme series, we explore one you probably remember reflected through the context of the violence in the woods of Wisconsin, Slenderman, as monster, meme, and myth. Ben, what's your favorite piece of monster lore? Mm, I think it's that trolls will turn to stone if you keep them up past dawn. <laughs> Is that so? Um, okay. That's what I heard. All right. What about you? I, you know, I'm not that up on the monster lore, I gotta say, but I definitely grew up with the Bloody Mary myth. You know, the saying it, whatever it was, three mm. times in the mirror in the dark and she would appear. But but the, there's this idea that lore develops over time. You know, you hear new things yeah. about a monster. There's new ways that they can travel from the spirit world into the real world if you're not careful. And part of the lore of Slenderman is that the mere thought of him means he's near. Who is responsible for that idea and for the monster himself? This guy. Hello, everyone. I am the quote-unquote creator of Slenderman, Victor Surge. These days, Eric Knudsen, a.k.a. Victor Surge, is almost as mysterious as the monster itself. He almost never comes out to talk about Slenderman. What you're hearing is from a rare interview with Knudsen on the Slender Nation podcast way back in 2011. He talked about the origin of Slender Man and how he was kind of a blank slate. Because, you know, his yeah. moves are unknown. You don't know what he wants. What is he doing? Who knows? He's just a force, you know. Right? Yeah, it's just he's there. And th- I think that's kind of what builds into his fear, uh, people's fear of him. Eric's monster started on a spooky online forum called Something Awful. Something Awful is where people tend to share Anything and everything that could be considered awful. It's a popular place for creepypastas or horror-related internet stories that get reposted and changed over time. Like copypasta, which is a combo of copy and paste, as you may know, but creepypasta. And among the creepypasta posts on something awful was a creepy Photoshop contest. And most of the posts were fine, according to Eric, whose online handle was Victor Surge. You know, I, I saw the first couple pages of that thread, and I and I said, you know, oh, these are pretty good. They're kind of creepy, you know. It looks like there's a ghost there, but I can do something creepier than that, you know. Um, I'll just um, throw this together. And it was literally 10, 15 minutes of thought. In Eric's original photoshopped black-and-white photos of Slenderman, there are kids in the foreground looking toward the camera. And in the background, there's a tall figure lurking in the shadows, right where your eye might tell you that your mind's just playing tricks on you. In one picture, there's a line of kids and Slenderman appears way behind them. In another, kids are on a jungle gym, unaware of Slenderman under the shadow of a tree. At least, that's where it looks like he is. Amanda again. Slenderman is just how people, like, process fear in the unknown. There was something about these images in the story that Victor Surge created that really grabbed, people gravitated to it. And within a week, a group of kids from the U.S. 
started a YouTube series about it, Marble Hornets. And the way that Marble Hornets iterated on these original photos and then built a whole new set of lore, like that is to me the most fascinating mimetic piece of it. Alex? Alex. So this is entry number 18 in the Marble Hornets web series. People on Reddit say it's one of the spookiest entries. A character is shining a flashlight in a dark house and comes across an unclothed Slenderman doll. And he shines a flashlight on this figure that has a white painted face and black painted eyes. And then the figure lunges forward and the camera person drops to the floor. This is like 480p, like dawn of YouTube video quality stuff here, 2009. It's got this Blair Witch found footage aesthetic to it. This particular entry has almost 2 million views, and there are 90 more of them, all with similar view counts. The film school student at the heart of this crazy, successful Slenderman fanfic video art catalog is Troy Wagner, also a big fan of that Something Awful online forum, who saw the original Slenderman images and the additional images that they were spawning. He liked them. But I noticed no one had done video yet. So I was like, this was during the summer. I didn't have a job. <laughs> so I called up my friend Joseph who um, I knew from high school and actually middle school. And I said, hey, you want to help me make a thing for the internet? (laughs) And he said, yeah, I'm not doing anything else. Troy and his buddy met up that same night and grabbed the Slender Man idea. But their character had a different name, The Operator. We proposed the idea that Troy and his friends might have been memeing when they took Slenderman off the Something Awful message board and made it into the Marble Hornets web series. He was a little skeptical. You say meme, I think of a grumpy cat, you know? Yeah. I don't think of other... I mean, although I guess if you want to get, like, really granular with it, you could use, like... And also, this is not a word that I'm a big fan of, is creepypasta. That's more like spooky memes, right? But internet librarian Amanda Brennan says Slenderman has one of the key characteristics of a meme. I think a meme is any type of idea or piece of content or like image or even like sentence structure that passes from person to person and changes along the way. And I think this is a great example of like literally passed from person to person and the second person is iterating. I just think there's something so novel about the spookiness of it all. Troy and his crew were the ones responsible for some of the lore commonly associated with Slenderman now. Marble Hornets added the ideas of slender sickness, of coughing when he's near. Also, the idea that Slenderman's presence makes audio glitch out. Even though the monster has a different name, the operator, it's all part of the Slenderman idea, but it's a malleable idea. The way that we made the operator in the series, like we didn't explain squat about it. We didn't say, oh, you know, he's he's a, a ghost of a businessman. Right. You know, I don't know. Like we didn't we didn't overly explain anything. It was just 
he's there. Bad things happen when he's there. Now we're going to focus on what the characters are going to do about it. In other words, Troy's Slenderman, the operator, didn't have a backstory. Being unmoored from an origin allowed people to fill in the blanks themselves of who Slenderman was, what he did, and what he wanted. Amanda says it used to be that Hollywood told us what to be scared of. Same with Eon's old urban legends. But Slenderman started online and then transcended the online space. Thinking about horror as a genre, it's a lot of the same story retold over and over again. And there's something about Slenderman that is markedly different because he came from the internet. And I think it's like also kind of a democratization almost. Like you don't need to be a giant film franchise to scare people. Hollywood did get in on the Slenderman craze, though. A movie made in 2018 brought in over $50 million at the box office by following the trend, not starting it. Over time, Slenderman has also inspired fan fiction, erotica. Somebody even came up with an older origin story from Germany, which lended some pre-internet credibility to the monster. There was some goofiness that got added over time, too. Slenderman got incorporated into My Little Pony fandom somehow. But for some people, there wasn't anything fun or funny about Slenderman. Slenderman lives, sort of, in a minute. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Support for this podcast comes from Is Business Broken, a podcast from BU Questrom School of Business. A recent episode explores the long tradition of investors influencing companies to do better. If you even go back to the 1600s, the Dutch East Indies companies, you'd have ships that would disappear for three, four, or five years at a time. And there were mechanisms that were needed because investors would put money into these operations. Stick around until the end of this podcast for a preview of the episode. A gruesome scandal at the nation's most prestigious university shines a light on a macabre and lucrative world of buying and selling human remains. Human body parts taken by a manager at the Harvard Medical School morgue and then sold to customers online. So my first skull is right there on the top shelf. That's my first and my favorite. I'm reporter Ali Jarmani, and this story raises some tough questions. How should we treat the dead? And who gets to decide? There should be some middle ground where we treat deceased tissues differently than we treat old refrigerators. This is Postmortem, the stolen bodies of Harvard, a new season of WBUR's Last Scene. Listen and follow Last Scene wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) 
The next time you find yourself wide awake in the middle of the night, scan the AM airwaves of your radio and you just might stumble upon this. I'll be curious to see the amount of phone calls we get, Heidi, from people who have had shadow people or Hatman experiences. Do you have to be a special person to see these entities or have these entities approach you? I mean, it's a threat that we'll all experience it at some point, even in passing. You know, you think a large bug is flying through your house and it's like they kind of look like that. This is Heidi Hollis, a frequent guest on the late-night AM radio talk show, Coast to Coast. I'm an author, researcher, and podcast host, all on anything out of the ordinary, from angels to aliens, uh, hat man to shadow people, uh, all of the above and all the in-betweens. Slenderman genuinely scared Heidi because of what he reminded her of, a different paranormal phenomenon. She started getting calls not long after images of Slenderman appeared on the internet. Believe it or not, I had people reaching out to me saying, Heidi, is this your stuff? Because this resembles Hatman. And uh, I'm like, well, let's see. He's wearing a, a suit. Uh, he likes to approach children and he causes terror wherever he goes. Yeah, that looks pretty much like a Hatman phenomenon. And, um, and who's Hatman? So Hatman is this guy that wears a three-piece suit generally. Sometimes he wears a trench coat. Other times he has uh, a cape. Uh, sometimes he has a hat on. Most of the time he does. And he does like to go after children quite a bit. And uh, there's also another phenomena that surrounds him called shadow people. He seems to direct these uh, black shadowy minions, if you will. We should say that Heidi doesn't just research the paranormal. She believes in it. And for her, Hatman is definitely real. You, like us, might be a little skeptical of that perspective. Evil is real, and he wears a hat. So Heidi believes in Hatman. She doesn't believe in Slenderman, because she says Slenderman is a stolen idea, a fictional version of the real evil that is Hatman, the Hatman she's written and spoken at length about. And she says turning real evil into fictional, viral, memefied internet evil is dangerous. Just to think of, you know, making something fictional of, of such a threat to humankind and people's souls, uh, acknowledging where it came from, acknowledging that this is a real phenomenon, and acknowledging it's something that is actually going on in the world, and you slapped a different title on it, um, so I wish that, uh, definitely, that that message had gotten across. But Lynn McNeil has a different message she wants to get across, and a different perspective on the whole Slender Man conversation. Lynn is a folklore professor at Utah State University. I teach Slender Man as a great example of creepypasta, of digital folklore, of legendary, and of internet meme. What you probably won't hear Lynn lecturing about I've certainly been asked by many, many young people, is Slender Man real? Hmm. And that's an interesting question for a folklorist to get because folklorists love to dodge that question. We like to point out we are not cryptozoologists. We are not Bigfoot hunters. We're not ghost hunters or paranormal investigators. We actually are not always interested in, is this true? We think there's many more interesting questions to ask. The main one being... Why does this story persist? Lynn thinks part of why a figure like Slenderman has persisted is that he represents something bigger than a spindly man in a suit. 
He might be a kind of updated version of something that spooked us for eons. Any successful piece of folklore is likely to be tapping in to tropes and motifs that have already withstood the test of time. So in both folk tradition and popular culture, we've seen some slender man-like figures. The Pied Piper's a great example, someone who lures children away, much to the you know grief and horror of their parents. Perhaps Slenderman is the Pied Piper of the digital age, a sort of digital folklore, as Lynn calls it. And included in digital folklore is something that, by now in this series, we're all pretty familiar with. Internet memes are probably one of the biggest forms of digital folklore because they're so concise and efficient in their communication of traditional ideas. You see it, you take it in, you get the impact, the message is succinct and well-articulated. And here's the thing. Because of that self-correcting nature of folklore due to its dynamic variation, if a meme isn't especially poignant and succinct, someone's going to fix it until it is. And that's one of the best things about folklore is that it is constantly evolving and updating itself to remain relevant. So Slenderman, according to Lynn, is both a meme and folklore. But there's another word she uses to categorize him. Legend stands out as being about possibility and probability. These are the stories that we tell each other to say, could this really happen? Could Slenderman be real? Legend has it, which creates just enough space in some people's imaginations to take him seriously. And in one case, too seriously. Breaking news, a 12-year-old girl is stabbed, leading to a big police search in Waukesha. On that morning, in May of 2014, in the woods of Waukesha, Wisconsin, a 12-year-old girl was attacked, not by Slenderman, but by two of her friends, who claimed to have done it to appease Slenderman. Here's Anissa and Morgan, telling police what happened. Morgan handed me the knife, and then I started to count again. When I was five feet away, I said, now, go ballistic, go crazy, stab, 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 stab. Peyton Leitner had been stabbed 19 times. Sir, are you with her right now? Yes. Is she awake? She's awake. Is there any bleeding going on? Just by happenstance, a man riding his bike in the remote woods came across Peyton, who was bleeding profusely. Her clothing has got blood on it. Okay, and you found her and she was just laying there? Yeah. Do you remember leaving the park to go to the woods? They just wanted to go on a walk, and I didn't think much of it. It's just a walk. It's in Waukesha. Like, what bad stuff happens in Waukesha, Wisconsin? Peyton was stabbed 19 times and left for dead by her own friends. This is Peyton talking to ABC News. She survived, even though a lot of people thought, still think, she didn't. In a way, her attack became part of the legend of Slenderman. And maybe the ending that a lot of people misremember that Peyton died is a testament to how memes get changed and twisted as they circulate. The Waukesha incident scared a lot of people, including Troy Wagner, the co-creator of the Slenderman spinoff web series Marble Hornets. He says he and his crew wondered if they bore any of the blame for the attack by contributing to the lore of Slenderman and giving him more of a platform. For 24 hours or so, our phones were ringing off the hook 
of reporters wanting to call us and ask us about these things. We would say, you know, was this ultimately a bad idea? But I mean, eventually we just had to kind of settle on the fact that like, if it wasn't us, it would have been somebody else, you know, that this was based on, you know, it's like, you can't stop these things from happening, you know? Is there any responsibility that that boils down to the creator? You know, that's really hard to say. Again, folklorist Lynn McNeil has thoughts. I think the short answer that a folklorist would give, and I certainly can't claim to speak for all folklorists, is no. Lynn says Slenderman is a byproduct of the world and society we live in, and no one person or group of people can be held accountable for his existence or what people choose to do in his name. And so that sense of responsibility really becomes a shared responsibility that we both react to and help maintain a world that requires Slenderman in order to cope symbolically with what's happening around us. And so we are all complicit in the creation of that. And so far, therefore, we are all required to take responsibility in helping to deal with that. But, you know, long story short, when a middle schooler asks me if Slender Man is real, I say no. He was made up on the internet to be a really good, believable story. After the stabbing in Wisconsin, the ever-elusive Eric Knudsen, the original creator of Slender Man, released a statement extending condolences and declaring in bold letters, quote, Slender Man is not real. This didn't deter all the believers, but according to folklorist Lynn, it did change Slender Man's significance for some people. He became, and it, through his own fandom in many ways, um, almost an ally to troubled children, where he became this character who given his new backstories, was being portrayed as a bullied child himself and therefore someone who could maybe come to help children who are being bullied now. And one really great study looks at the symptoms of slender sickness and compares them to the signs um, that a child is being bullied and finds an amazing amount of overlap. Amanda, the internet librarian, says lately the cobwebs have been accumulating in Slender Man's corner of the interwebs. The pandemic has put a lot of things into perspective for people. And, like, the same things that scare us before are very different. Um, and I, I personally haven't seen a lot of Slenderman content over the past year. But, like, when looking at, like, the types of memes and the types of content that people have shared over the pandemic when something that disruptive to life comes, like, I don't think people are seeking out that kind of meme when life is so scary. But folklorist Lynn says Slenderman is good folklore. And good folklore may rise and fall in popularity over time, but it doesn't die. It just lurks in the shadows until we need it again. You know, bad folklore just goes away. So if it's not going away, there's something about it that's speaking to us. And here we are in 2021 doing an episode about Slenderman. So there must be some reason he's on our minds. Just like they say, if you're thinking about him, he's near.
This bonus episode was produced by Quincy Walters and Nora Sachs. We'll be back in your feed next Friday with another full episode in our meme series. We'll see you then. Support for this podcast comes from Is Business Broken, a podcast from BU Questrom School of Business. Listen on for a preview of one of the episodes. ESG, or environmental social governance, challenges businesses to think beyond the immediate bottom line. But before ESG, the Balance Scorecard did something similar. Questrom's Eddie Riedel explains. The big thing that was groundbreaking about the Balance Scorecard is really this idea to move beyond thinking about financial statements, which everybody thought about since the 1920s, right? That was kind of the gold standard for how to evaluate a company and its performance. And the balanced scorecard's big insight, I think, was to get companies internally to think about, well, what if you don't just focus on financial measures? There are other things that are going to affect your performance, and maybe they won't affect them today, but they're going to affect them in the short-term, mid-term, long-term. Building in those other criteria, those other dimensions, and explicitly linking that to your strategy, to how your company is going to operate, what kind of big decisions it's going to make, that's really what the big insight of the balanced scorecard was meant to do. And at the time, uh, right now, it doesn't seem particularly revolutionary. It seems kind of obvious. We've been stuck in the ESG movement for a while, and thinking about linking these things to corporate strategy seems pretty obvious. At the time, it was a pretty big, whoa, kind of moment. Find the full episode by searching for Is Business Broken wherever you listen to podcasts and learn more about the Mayrotra Institute for Business, Markets, and Society at ibms.bu.edu.